grab your Bibles. Turn to Ephesians chapter 6. Ephesians chapter 6. We're continuing. Uh, we got a couple weeks left. We're continuing our, our uh, relationship series. And I want to encourage you as you do that. We've been focusing on this triangle, this relationship triangle, and uh, uh, the, the, the truth behind what takes place. So if you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 6. Uh, and I want you to think about this. We're, we're in Mother's Day, or we're on Mother's Day, and I hope and pray that you have uh, uh, not forgotten your mom, right? That you have, have not forgotten. You know, I, I realized real quickly um, when my wife would go to Texas for work how much moms uh, really do. Like, anybody ever been there? Like, your wife leaves, the, the house falls apart. Like, you're like, what are we going to do for dinner? Oh, it's more food. We'll go out and get fast food. And then the next night, it's more fast food. And then the next night, it's even worse. And it's like, by the time you get back, it's like, oh, I'm so glad you're here. We're going to have real food. And she's like, I've been gone all week. I'm not cooking. What are you talking about? Right? So Mother's Day is one of those things we look at. But being a parent uh, is, an, is an awesome blessing, right? And at the same time, it's, it's an uncomparable Incomparable challenge, right? Parenting is not easy. Parenting is not for the faint of heart. Matter of fact, I remember going to my dad and I'd be like, Dad, I need to know more about parenting. And he says, huh, I'm a grandparent. And I still couldn't tell you all that. He says, it's kind of just sit down, hold on for dear life, and hope that you don't wreck things, right? I mean, at times you feel like that. But I want to challenge us today as we dig into this, this isn't just towards parents or just towards fathers, but it's to look at our relationship with our children. I'm going to grab this chalkboard real quick. We're going to bring it up here. You got it? Got that side? There we go. And we're going to use this. I've got a couple illustrations. I want to just kind of give us a picture of uh, what's going to take place. So we got our relationship. Thank you, Joe. We got our relationship triangle here, and all throughout we said that every relationship is built on this, right? That our relationship with God is first and foremost, okay? Okay? And we've talked about how our relationship with God as an individual becomes primary because then our relationship with everybody else comes into play with that, right? When I have a problem in a relationship with other people, most people want to say, well, that's fine, I'm done with God. Well, you can't go about things that way because if you look at people and go, well, I'm not going to have a relationship with God because that person's a jerk or she doesn't treat me right, then we're going to end up having problems. Well, they always talk bad about me. Okay, so the problem's with God or the problem with, is with who? The person, okay? So, but we said this in the fact of God, us, and others. We said this in the fact of God, our relationships within the church, that we have to have strong relationships within the church in order to have good relationships with those who are outside the church. That a church that has conflict internally is not healthy spiritually. And when a church has conflict internally and is not healthy spiritually, they're not going to have a, 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 an impact on those who are outside the church. Okay? So we have this relationship with God, and then we talked about God and our relationship as a husband and our relationship as wives. And as we grow closer in our relationship with God... Together, we actually grow closer together. And today we're going to talk about this. Our relationship with God as parents and as children. Now, our children are in the service, and so this is going to be directed to them as well. But I want you to think about this, that when parents draw closer to the Lord, draw closer to God, you seek God in things, here's what ends up happening. We are drawn in this direction, and then God 
builds us into what we're supposed to be and reveals to us as parents what we're supposed to do so that our children are drawn closer to God. So if you have your Bibles, Ephesians chapter 6, you can bookmark that part. We're going to focus on that, but we're going to jump into a couple sections just uh, very briefly. Listen to what he says. All right, all the children, listen to this part. Children, now every, every parent, every young parent's going, yeah, this is, this, he's going towards my parents. Now, um, as far as I know, if you're alive, you have a mom and a dad. Now, let me clarify, my dad has passed, so I know that I can no longer obey my father, but if my parents were alive, what's he say? Children, obey your Parents, in the Lord, for this is right. Honor your father and mother, which is the first commandment with a promise. And here's the reason why. That it may go well with you and that you may enjoy long life on the earth. So here's the first idea or the first thought is that children were out to obey our parents. Now, keep in mind what he's saying. Obey your parents in who? In the Lord. In other words, that I obey them in the uh, pursuit of and the longing for and the going after the Lord in obedience to what God has called us. So this is played out throughout that we can honor our parents. Listen to me. No other endeavor in life will so excite you and exhaust you, will so bless you and at the same time break you, will so delight you and also drain you as being a parent. There is nothing else in all of life that will do that. Bringing a child up in the world is no easy task. And likewise, let me say this though, that bring a child up in the world in what is our modern day ideology of family is going to be difficult and tough. Though at times you wish you could trade your children in, <laughs> right? You know, or, or as one person said to me today, I think I put my son up on a auction on eBay, <laughs> right? No other option. There is no other option other than to deal with it. And listen, God has entrusted you with the life of another person in a way to step forward, one that is honestly a lot like you. I mean, that's the biggest problem. My wife would say, the reason you have the most problem is because they're just like you in that circumstance or situation. And I'm like, oh, great. Now she's showing me my flaws. I'm just seeing it through the individual that I'm just having a problem with right now. Usually my son or my daughters, you know, one of those things that pumps up. But listen, with the blessing of children comes the high and heavy responsibility of being a parent. And parenting is the task of a lifetime, and it carries with it great risks, but it also carries with it great eternal rewards. And here's what I want us to do. As a church, we're going to think through this, because you may be sitting here going, well, my parents are grown, or my, I mean, my kids are grown, they're gone, they're on their own. But I want us to think of this. If you do not have children, or, or your children are grown and gone, and the children are not part of the church, then I want us to think through this factor as well. What is the role of the church within the life of the family? And how should the church then make children a priority rather than a secondary thought? 
How should the church make children a priority rather than a secondary thought? If you had your Bibles, you could look to Judges chapter 2. I'm just going to read real quick Judges chapter 2, verse 10. And I want to clarify what's going on. Joshua, in the book of Joshua, leads the children of Israel into the promised land. There are lots of great things. They divide up the land. There are things going on. We get to Judges. Judges chapter 1, Joshua dies. As Joshua dies, we get to Judges chapter 2. And in Judges chapter 2, it basically says that after a while, Joshua had died, that the people begin to forget about Joshua and what the Lord had done through Joshua. And in Judges chapter 2, verse 10, it says this, after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, in other words, the generation that experienced the blessings of God, leading them into the promised land, after that whole generation had been gathered to their ancestors, in other words, they had died, another generation grew up who neither knew the Lord nor what he had done for Israel. Now listen to me, church, as a whole. This is dangerously close to one of those things that could begin to say this is going to happen in our generation. As a matter of fact, the last week I got to spend time in Montana, all right? And if you would venture to step outside just in a small way and begin to know what's going on around you, that we have people who are surrounded by, we are surrounded by individuals who don't know the Lord and have never known the blessings of the Lord. Their parents and their grandparents did not go to church. They didn't grow up in the church. They didn't go to church. They had nothing to do with the church. Matter of fact, you start talking about the gospel and you start talking about the growth and things like that that could happen. They have never experienced it. And so please hear me out when I say this. There is a role in which the church has to play and there is a role in which the parents have to play in order to be or reach godly families. So here's the big idea. If you remember anything else, I want you to remember this, that we must be, we, parents, And the church must be living examples of God's grace to our children, and listen to me, and train them in truth for the battles ahead. We must be living examples of God's grace to our children and train them in truth for the battles ahead. And please hear me out when I say this, because I believe this is of utmost importance, that we must be living examples of God's grace. That's the biggest factor of everything that you and I are living examples of God's grace, right? That I'm going to mess up. Are you gonna mess up? Anybody, anybody willing to admit that you're perfect? Right? I mean, like, yeah, there's a couple hands going, I really want to, but no, you know? Like, I really wish I was, but I know myself, you know? So, but we have to be living examples of God's grace. And, listen to me, Train our children, your children, in truth for the battles ahead. Over the last year, we have seen nothing but battle after battle after battle after battle after battle. And I'll be honest with you, politically, right now, we have a massive spiritual battle taking place that is going against the very fabric and thread of what is a biblical family. What is a biblical marriage? What it means to be a biblical parent? What it means to follow the Lord consistently in everything I do? This is a massive battle. And so today I wanna give you three principles that I believe are necessary for godly families. Three principles that I believe are necessary for godly families. Listen to number one. Treat your children as a treasure. 
Treat your children as a treasure. If you have your Bibles, you could flip over to Psalm 127. I'm going to read it just so you can understand what's going on. Psalm 127. We're going to jump back to Ephesians chapter 6 and listen to what he says. Starting in verse 1. Unless the Lord builds the house, its labors or its builders labor in vain. Unless the Lord watches over the city, the watchmen stand guard in vain. In vain you rise early and stay up late, toiling for food to eat, for he grants sleep to those he loves. Now listen to this, verse 3. Sons, let me clarify this, children are a heritage from the Lord. Children are a reward from him. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior are sons born in one's youth. Blessed is the man whose quiver is full of them. They will not be put to shame when they contend with their enemies at the gate. When I say children or treat your children as a treasure, listen again what he says. Children are a heritage from the Lord. What's this idea of a heritage? This whole idea of a heritage is there's something that continues on. See, when kids are, kids are, I mean, let's be honest with you. Kids are physically tough, but they're emotionally fragile. They are spiritually fragile. They need to develop. They need to grow, and we need to treat them as a treasure. That's why Paul begins his instruction here with Christian parents. We have to begin to understand what it is to be a heritage. And the idea of a heritage is something that's highly valued. It has a unique treasure within a family. It's got a family identity. If I was to say my family heritage was this, there's this ongoing reality. Children are a heritage from the Lord. They're to be carried on. They're to be built upon. And these values and this cultural idea and the traditions is what he's laying out. Why? Because they are a heritage from the Lord. They are of utmost value. They are of great importance and significance. They have a huge opportunity and upside that the Lord wants to use them for. And oftentimes we bypass this. Oftentimes we overlook it. If you were to jump back to Ephesians chapter four, he says, or chapter six, he says this in verse four. Fathers, do not exasperate your children. Now listen to me, a lot of times it's like, yeah, it's all on fathers, but the idea here is that parents, we don't exasperate our kids. What's the idea or term of exasperate mean? Exasperate means to irritate or agitate to the point of causing resentment, right? Matter of fact, I've got four things. There's critical parents. A critical parent is somebody who is always making verbal corrections, maybe even hurtful criticism, a parent who constantly harps on a child's flaws and failures, always pointing out what's wrong with the, the child and what's gonna end up happening is it's gonna create a anger or resentment. Then there's controlling parents, right? Like we live in the world of controlling parents. They wanna control everything about every little thing. We, matter of fact, when you'll, you'll hear the term a helicopter parent. They hover over their parent or over their kid on everything. Make sure they make every right decision. No, you can't do that. I'm not going to allow you. I don't want to. Controlling parents are just as much a problem because a parent that tries to dictate every aspect of a child's life can create a rebellious child. And then there's complacent parents. You know, maybe you know somebody. Maybe you're a complacent parent. A complacent parent is the one who's too busy with everything else and doesn't have enough time for their kids. They pass the buck. 
Well, they'll grow up and they'll be fine and we'll leave them alone and everything's going to be good. The child of a complacent parent will grow up with resentment and frustration. Why? Because the parent didn't do their job in the first place to teach them and train them. Listen to me. We are in a world full of complacent parents. When we have people who aren't taught strong biblical finances to understand and know how God wants us to operate, when we live in a world where it says, listen, we're going to pass off the responsibility of discipling and raising my kids, we're going to pass that off to the church. That's complacency. And the problem is, the child looks at the parent and goes, well, they're complacent in their spiritual growth, and they're complacent in their love toward me, and therefore they're complacent in everything, and therefore I want nothing to do with Jesus, I want nothing to do with the church, and I'm not going to listen to what my parents say. That's complacent parenting. And then there's cold parenting. This is the mom or dad who is detached and distant from their child, who shows little concern, no interest, and refuses affection and affirmation. If you were to identify yourself in one of those, maybe you could identify that. But I want you to think about going back to Psalm chapter 127. Children are a heritage from the Lord. So we treat them as a treasure. That God has, listen to me, a treasure that God has given us for a time that we are stewards of. And that when we steward it rightly, it reaps a reward and a benefit, not just for us, but for the whole world. That when we steward the treasure rightly, correctly, obediently, then there is a reward for the whole world. Now, hear me out, church. Do we steward our children well here? That's what I want to ask. Do you do it individually as a parent? And then number two, do we steward our children well? Do we understand that they are a heritage from the Lord? Are we looking at families around us who are lost and in need of salvation of Jesus, whose kids need Jesus, and are we looking at them and saying, we should be stewards of those who don't know who Jesus is, or do we just neglect it? And let me be very clear in this. One of the things I think is always a priority is to look at, if we steward our children well, what's our children's ministry look like? Should be healthy and thriving, right? It should be full of workers who love kids. It should be the passion and say, you know what? I know I'm no longer a parent, but I can love on, I can serve, I can invest in the next generation. Keep in mind, let me think, let me be very clear. We talked about this. There arose a generation that forgot what had happened in the past and therefore, listen, didn't understand the blessings and the encouragement of the Lord. When we neglect the next generation and we don't pass it on, guess what ends up happening? You reap what you sow. Now, I know I'm kind of stepping on some toes, but this is the reality of what goes on. We have to invest in the next generation in order to multiply our effectiveness as a church. And we have to, as parents, invest in the lives of our kids in order to, listen, in order to reap the blessing and the benefit that the Lord wants to pour out on us through our kids. That's the way the Lord works. That's how he lays it out. So we treat them, treat our children as a treasure. Number two, we train them for the battles ahead. Look at what he says in verse uh, four. He says, fathers, don't exasperate your children. Instead, bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. 
Now listen to me when I talk about this idea of training. Proverbs 22, verse six says this, train a child in the way he should go or the way they should go, and even when they are old, they will not turn from it. Train a child in the way they should go, and when they are old, they will not turn from it. Listen, one of the factors we oftentimes see is this, that parents say it's the church's responsibility to teach their children about God, and here's what ends up happening. If I take myself out of the equation and I leave it up to the church to invest in the children, to only invest in the children, they're the only ones who are doing it, then what we do is we take ourselves out of the equation and our kids go, my parents don't believe it, my parents don't live it, and therefore, I'm out the door. So that's the relationship triangle as we play it out. Make no mistake, please hear me out when I say this. There is a spiritual battle going on right now for the lives of our children, wholeheartedly. All we gotta do is look around the streets of independence and see what's going on. And when I talk about a spiritual battle, I'm not just talking about the fact that Satan is working to try and stop them from coming to church. I am talking about the simple fact that Satan has come to steal, kill, and destroy. He wants to steal their joy and their passions. Depression, suicide, anxiety and worry at our all-time highs. Drug use and alcohol use, all-time highs. All of these things are playing out. Emotional unhealthiness, all-time high. More people needing counselor, all-time high. And it's only going to get worse the longer we continue to prolong and push off and say, listen, I'm out. Matter of fact, I, I got just a simple illustration. I just want to show you something that plays out here, but I want you to think about what he says with this. Bring them up in the training. Bring them up in the training of the Lord. If you flip back again with me, back to Psalm chapter 127, listen to what he says. Sons are a heritage from the Lord. Children are a reward from him. Now listen to me. Think about this. Verse four, like arrows in the hands of a warrior is a child. Every child here is like an arrow in the hand of a warrior. On my way out to Montana, I got to take one of the directors of mission here from the state of Missouri out with me, and we stopped at uh, Little Bighorn, the Battle of Little Bighorn. Now, the battle between Custer and the Indians out there actually took place with guns, but I want you to think about this, that every arrow that is used is an arrow that you are using. Every child that you train is an arrow that you are using to combat the fiery darts and the arrows that the enemy is also firing back at us. Like arrows in the hands of a warrior. Arrows take time and preparation. They need to be honed and set right. They need to be balanced. But they also need, listen, they also need a bow that's going to make an arrow effective. And you are the bow. Parents, you are the bow. And listen to me, church, we are the bow that prepares children to be used as an arrow against the fiery attacks and the darts of Satan and everything that goes on. And so listen to me when I say this. I believe our children's ministry and our youth ministry should be the number one funded thing in our church. I believe that we have to put our money where our mouth is. I believe that we have to say, listen, if our kids really matter and really value, then we should have a line waiting to volunteer and serve. Not a group going, well, I'll let somebody else take care of that. See, 
we can sit back and we can say parents, or I mean that we really love children, but when you really love children, your actions speak louder than words. And so listen to when I say this. Train them for the battles ahead. We must encourage and love and reach the next generation. Why? Because we need all hands on deck in order to train them to stand up against the battles that they are gonna face. And hear me out when I say this. Over and over and over again, if our children are trained, the Bible promises it, train a child in the way they should go and they will not depart. So listen, we have to train them up for battles. And then listen, here's the last thing. Share and show Christ to them. We have to begin to understand how we do that as parents. It is of utmost importance. Listen to what he says. Bring them up in the training and the instruction of the Lord. We have to share and show Jesus to our children. We must train them in the truth and the knowledge of the Lord's grace and God's blessing. Parents, listen to me. You cannot replicate what you already aren't are. Parents, you replicate who you are, not who you want to be. In other words, who you are on the day in and day out of every situation is who your kids will become. It's not who you want to be, it's who you are. So when I say that, parents, when you read your Bible, your kids will most likely read the Bible. Parents, when you give grace, your kids will give grace. Parents, when you make church a priority, your kids will make church a priority. Don't tell your kids that God loves them unconditionally and then you walk away and shun them and disappoint them. And I wanna show you just a very simple illustration using ping pong balls about how parents have the greatest priority, the greatest opportunity, and the greatest responsibility. Each one of these ping pong balls represents two hours. There are 168 hours in a week. Each ping pong ball here represents two hours. So let's just say roughly that we, as kids, now we're, we're pretty strict on our kids going to bed on time. Some parents aren't. So some kids get less sleep. Some kids get more sleep. If you were to say the minimum is 56 hours, right? But the maximum, we, I'm, I'm going to say 10 hours. And you may be like, 10 hours? Are you kidding me? We make our kids go to bed. They're in bed at 8, lights out at 8.30. You may be like, oh my gosh, my son will tell you. He's 15. But you know what? It saves us a lot of pain and heartache. Plus, mom and dad just need some time, right? Any parent out there be like, heck yeah, man. Send your kids to bed early. Get them on a schedule. Get them going. They'll be ready. This represents sleep, okay? There's 14 hours, there's 28 hours, there's 42, wait, no, 14, 28, yeah, 42, there's 56, there's 70 hours. 70 hours of sleep, right? That's, that's 10 hours a night. You may say, well, that's a lot of sleep. Your kids need it. Science says they need it. Behavior says it needed. Your teachers will tell you, if your kids would go to sleep, I wouldn't have to deal with half the stuff I got to deal with, <laughs> right? Your Sunday school teachers would tell you this. <laughs> Please let your kids go to sleep on Saturday night, okay? So there's, there is right there 70 hours of sleeping. That could be less. Maybe it's 60, whatever, all right? Now we've got school, okay? I got five ping pong balls in each one. So there's 10 hours, 20 hours, 30 hours, 40 hours of school. It's a lot of time, right? That's 110 hours out of the week just between school and sleep. Now, guess what that gives you as parents? 
There's seven. There's 14. Or, sorry, 14. There's 28. 42. Right? I can't add it up. I'm terrible at math. 14, 28, 42. There we go. 64 hours, whatever it is. That's off. I can't even, I can't even do math. Right? 7, 14. 7 times 4. No, it's, no, because they're times 2. <laughs> 14 times 4. This has gone to hell in a handbasket to a certain extent. Here's what I want you to understand. As parents, you have about a third of their time. This is removing sleep, removing school. You have at least a third of the time that the kids are alive. Can I show you what the church has? On average, in a Christian's life, the church has two hours a week. And here's the problem. When this is the only investment in our kids, we want to know why this gets thrown on the wayside when the everyday responsibility of parents isn't lived up to. Do you see the importance of what it means to invest in our own kids? Now listen to me, and I'm not gonna take away the responsibility of the church, but I want you to think about all of this, how it plays out. That we as a church, with the bare minimum time that we give, have to give every effort to give the best opportunity for kids to come to know Jesus, to follow Jesus, to see Jesus in our lives, because there may be a great opportunity, a great chance that their parents don't live it out. And there may be a great opportunity, a great chance for us to reach out to those families. But please hear me out when I say this, parents. You have to take on the role and the responsibility of loving in, investing, and and discipling your own children. And so in order to make that a very simple way, I just want to ask you this. You can't tell your kids that God loves them unconditionally and then shun them when they disappoint you. You can't expect your kids to read the Bible if you don't. You can't look for your kids to love the church if you don't. You can't expect your kids to understand understand the sacrificial death of Jesus if you won't and can't and will not sacrifice for them. You can't think your children will believe in the power of Christ to change a life if they see no change in you. You will negate your opportunity to witness to your children if you don't live for Jesus yourself. And so I wanna make this very simple as I wrap up. Parents, you and I are warriors armed with bows and our children are arrows. And it takes practice and it takes training and it takes effort to pull that bow back, to hold it steady and to make that arrow hit the target that it was intended to hit in the first place. I believe wholeheartedly that God has a purpose and a plan for every individual, including our children. The problem is we've told our kids, do whatever you want. Don't do as I do, but just do as I say. And so please hear me out when I say this. We need children who are gonna love Jesus And the only way they're going to love Jesus is when you love Jesus and show that to them. We need children who are going to read the Bible. And the only way they're going to read the Bible is when you read the Bible. When you show that you're faithful reading the Bible and they see it, they're going to repeat it. We need children who are going to be forgiving, not cancel culture mentality, but we're going to be forgiving 
You know what that means? That as a parent, I need to be forgiving. We need children who are going to be not critical, but loving. And when I get critical as a parent, then all I do is open the door to Satan for Satan to go, man, I'm going to squash this kid's self-esteem because you just ripped them apart. Listen to me, parents. It's our responsibility. Church, it's our responsibility that we have to take this up. If I had a bow, I was thinking of bringing my bow, and I thought I got a bunch of people would probably be freaking out. <laughs> I'd bring bow, bring an arrow, right? Like everybody would be like, oh my gosh, what the heck's going on? But listen, every arrow, every child we have is an arrow, an arrow of good, a weapon of good. As a matter of fact, if you read Romans, in Romans chapter 6, it says that we are to be instruments of righteousness. The word in reality in the Greek is this idea that we are to be weapons of righteousness, that each child and each person here is a weapon of righteousness, that we are to use our bodies as weapons of righteousness for the goodness of the kingdom of God. And so here's how I want to finish. We're going to close in a song. We're going to have a time of invitation. It may be a time for you to join or say, I want to become a part of the church. It may be a time to get involved. It may be a time to say, I need to put my faith and trust in Jesus. It may be a time for you as a parent to grab your husband or grab your wife and say, we got to pray. We got to pray for our kids. We got to pray for our church. But please hear me out when I say this. We have more and more kids and more and more families around our church. Matter of fact, can I give you some statistics just real quick that I recently found out? 73% of the people who live around our church are opioid addicts. 73% of people who live around our church are single-parent families. That means that 73% of the kids potentially around our church have no hope, haven't heard the truth of the gospel. And please hear me out when I say this. Those who are opioid addicts and those who come from broken families need to hear about who Jesus is, need to respond to the truth of Jesus Christ. But listen to me, it starts with you and me and our families. Do I use my family? Do I use my kids? Am I ready to take part in the battle? And when I'm talking about this, I'm not talking about the battle against flesh and blood. But I'm talking about the battle that, that Romans and Ephesians talk about, that our battle is not against flesh and blood, but it's against the rulers and the authorities and the principalities around us. Am I ready to draw back my children and fire my children out into a dark world that they can take light into darkness? That's the way the church moves forward. That's the way generational legacy lives on. That's the way that the gospel continues to propel and progress into the future is that when we raise our children to love, fear, and serve the Lord. And so here's very simply what we're going to do. We open up a time, a response time, a time to sing, to celebrate what God has done, a time to pray. And please hear me out when I say this, parents. If you don't know what to do, what the next step is, come talk to us. We've got some books we can point you to that would be starter devotional things. You can download your app, the, the version app, the Bible app on your phone, and you can begin to read the Bible with your kids. 
You've got right now media that we offer to you for free that would begin to disciple your kids and you can go with it, go through it with them. So if you need some pointers and some direction, please stick around. Come talk to me. Come talk to my wife. We can point you in the right direction. But church, I say this, that we've got to be people who are going to pray. Maybe, just maybe, you're being called today that through this, I see the need that I need to serve. I need to step up and serve in the children's ministry or the youth ministry. If we neglect the next generation, hear me out. If we neglect the next generation, the doors will eventually be closed. The church will eventually give up because we didn't invest in the next generation and we died off. Keep in mind what happened. There was a generation that didn't know the Lord and didn't know anything about the blessings that he had done before. Father, we pray today that your goodness and grace would be evident in our life. God, maybe there's a father or mother here today that says, Lord, I know that I'm not living the way I should. God, would you help me live it out? God, would you give me a desire for your word? Would you pour into me. God, as I seek you and I seek you with all my heart, I know I will find you. And God, would you let their children see their love and desire. God, may we be parents of grace. May our church be a haven of grace and a mercy for those who are far, far, far from you. And Lord, would you revolutionize our hearts. God, let us have a desperate desire to see the next generation come to saving faith in Jesus. God, break our hearts. It's in Jesus' name I pray. Amen.